Broadcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation Podcast. And now, here's Steve Warren. Oh, Brock Mantooth is in fine form. Great to have him here. Great to have you here, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Sens Nation podcast. Glad you're with us. Sens playing well. Uh, coming up today, we're going to talk about the week that was. Greg Batherson, Matt Murray, Shane Pinto. Lots to get into today. Lots to sink our teeth into. I think there's lots of reason for you, the good Sens fan, to be pretty encouraged these days. Again, it's uh, Steve along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Things are great, uh, Steve. Uh, two wins for the Sens and two wins for the Ice Dogs this weekend. We're doing we're doing okay out here. Two wins for the Ice Dogs. Yeah, the Slave Lake Ice Dogs. Uh, uh, for those who don't know, uh, just to reset, Greg is out in Alberta coaching junior hockey. And uh, so tell me about the week that was. We, uh, we had a home-and-home home with the Fox Creek Ice Kings, not to be confused <laughs> with the Ice Dogs. And they're actually two words. There's a space in there. We're one word. Anyway, we played uh, in Fox Creek Friday night and at home uh, Saturday night. Uh, a bit of a squeaker on uh, on Friday. We, we we needed two in the third to uh, to win it three uh, two, and then last night we had a four goal second period to get out to six to two after two and 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 hung on for a seven three win. So a nice uh, nice tidy two game sweep and. We're going down to Edmonton on Wednesday night and uh, and a home and home next weekend with uh, High Prairie Red Wings. There you are. There's your update. Nice. I like it. And and not I know no coach ever publicly wants to call out or uh, or credit anybody if they don't have to. And you don't want to you know blow smoke up anybody's you know you you know what <laughs> or make anybody's head too big. But I couldn't help but notice because I I kind of prowl, I kind of lurk, I kind of uh, check out things. You got a kid that's putting like Connor McDavid stats to shame, like he's putting up three, four points a game. Uh, Shea uh, Summerfield, the captain, uh, yeah, is a very impressive hockey player. He had played in the SIJHL, which is the uh, Superior or is SL, whatever. It's it's Northern Northern Ontario and curves around and goes to teams in Upper Michigan. And he was actually signed and was going off to Portage College for this season uh, to play there on a scholarship. But, of course, their season got shut down, and uh, we scooped up uh, three or four of the players out of there. Kevin McClelland is involved with our team. You may know him. He played with the Oilers. He's, he's sure. like our senior advisor, and he's uh, one of the coaching staff at Portage College. And he said, hey, I got some kids for you, and, and sent us three or four. Back at the start of the year, uh, Shea Summerfield's the only one left. <laughs> the other guy, they, they just, you know, we're not playing, we're going home. So so Shea's the only one left. And, yeah, he puts up some serious point totals every night. He's a, he's a, he's a real good good hockey player and a really good, uh, a fine young man, as we say. Good kid. Good stuff. Good stuff. That's good. It's always good to have a player like that around for sure. Let's get into it now. Uh, a little Sens Nation action, uh, some thoughts about the week of Sens. Go 2-1, and one, a 4-2 win over the Jets, a 3-2 loss to the Jets, and then a very impressive 4-0 win over Montreal on Saturday afternoon. Norris took a shot, back to Norris. Centering pass, Batherson scores! Kachuk to Batherson again, and it's 3-0 Ottawa. A clip courtesy of TSN, Gordon Miller with a call. So a nice shutout victory, Greg, and that was actually the Sens' first shutout with DJ Smith as head coach. He's never had a shout-out as, as an NHL head coach, as a Sens head coach. And I think he also passed Rick Bonus for coaching wins with the Sens with 40. That's the <laughs> team's first shutout win since March of 2019. So over two years since the Sens have had a shutout. 
which I find yeah, it's exciting at the same time. It's a little on the sad side, but <laughs> in yeah. the moment you uh, you celebrate uh, what was it's right. It's got to be right there, Greg, and, and among their best performances of the entire season. And and yeah, yeah, definitely. And you could almost say like it was coming. Um, their their defensive zone is so much better, so much more structured to their game. Um, they just needed a night against a lesser offensively gifted team, and that is Montreal, who have a terrible time trying to score goals. You look at the stats with their their forwards. There's especially at center ice, they have a tough time beyond Anderson and Toffoli of of producing any type of offense so maybe this you know it was kind of the recipe was right they're playing well the Habs don't score you could almost sense that it was coming and Matt Murray's return to form uh for one game anyway he looked real good so a tidy little efficient for nothing road win when you think about what went out when you talk about d-zone coverage obviously outgoing was guys that maybe didn't have the foot speed of some of the guys that are in there now good Branson Braden Coburn, and now you've got on a full-time basis, Brandstrom, and now Victor Mete. There's part of you that as a coach, I'm sure, wants guys that are going to make guys pay along the boards in the offensive zone, um, put the fear of God into them. But there's also something to be said for you know foot speed that's going to take away the opposing attacker's time and space. Well, exactly. And, and really, you there's two different things here we're talking about with these with the with the defensemen. There's defending off the rush, and there's down low defensive zone coverage. At the start of the year, you had those the, the big slow guys. They get taken advantage of because they're getting turned around and they're not quick enough. Their their foot speed's just not there to defend, especially against the speed of of what you're facing some nights against Winnipeg or Edmonton or some of these other teams. Um, but down low, they were okay. They're big, strong, physical guys. Clear the front of the net. They can eliminate people on walls down low and hit stick pin and 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 things work down low. Um, the other half of your defense was sort of slight and light uh, with foot speed. So they were okay off the rush, but not so great down low. And when it was a bit of a fire sail down there sometimes uh, with the forwards not exactly doing what they were supposed to be doing, um, your smaller, slighter defensemen were exposed. So now with experience, um, learning on the job sort of, the the uh, the lighter guys have gotten better down low and the older, slower guys are gone. So there's not so much happening off the rush and they're much better in their own zone. Certainly that will have an influence on how good a goaltender is. Oh, and- yeah. Matt Murray is suddenly looking like the last couple of games he's been pretty good, and he was really good in this last game. Again, first shutout as an Ottawa Senator, first shutout for the team in two years, as mentioned. But, uh, you know, and, and I, I put that out there a little while ago, if you recall, in that, you know, everybody was down on Matt Murray, and I was too. You know, I look at the glove work, and I say, oh, my God. But I also couldn't help but notice, and I feel like it's too much of a coincidence that you can have, you know, four guys come in, you know, first the, the three, uh, the three new guys in Decord, then you had Forsberg, you had uh, Gustafson, you know, those three guys came in and they suddenly looked pretty good, and then you had Hogberg even come in, who, who like Murray was terrible at the start of the year. He came in and played a game and he suddenly looked good, and now Matt Murray does as well, and it really is kind of galvanizing for me anyway, as someone who's trying to you know, analyze this whole thing about goaltending, right? You know, you know, is it the is the goalie bad because the team in front of him's bad, or is the team bad because the goalie's bad? To me, Matt Murray looks a lot better, largely because the team in front of him looks better. 
I agree completely. And yeah, we we have we've talked about this for a couple of weeks now since since Decord's debut and and the uh, and all of those new guys coming in and looking good. We said, yeah, let's let's wait and see what happens when the when the big guys come back, when Murray gets back, when Hogberg gets back, give them some opportunity to play behind this new, new, this improved um, defensive group in their own zone. Um, not just the six guys playing on the blue line, but the forwards. There's a lot more structure. There's a lot more obvious understanding of what's required and roles, responsibilities, and switch offs and all that sort of stuff that they do in their own zone. And and Matt Murray finally got to benefit from it. Um, the other thing, though, that I, I I read recently was that he was not feeling well or not not a hundred percent long before he actually officially left the lineup that night and didn't didn't play that one game when he was taking warmups. So maybe he was bothered by something for the whole year. Who knows, right? You never really get the truth about injuries anymore in the NHL. Yeah, it's true, and I feel good for him because it was a miserable start. I try to empathize with the whole coming to a new organization that really has been, you know, having a tough time goaltending wise. Uh, You know, our old pal JR used to call it the goalie graveyard. And a lot of people have felt that way about it. And I don't know. I just, he comes in, he's supposed to be the savior and has just a miserable couple of months, Uh, but so too did the team. And uh, I feel good that he's, you know, getting this new opportunity. He still has everything to prove. You know, you think about, where he's at like he has to prove something to his coach who I mean even after that first game because it feels like the second act for Matt Murray so he comes back after the injury and then the he was two weeks working with coaches the new coach Zach Burke um, I don't know any coach or any team in the NHL rather that has their number one goalie healthy scratched for two weeks while he just sort of works it works things out kind of an admission from the team that yeah uh, we're concerned about him but he has to prove something to his coach because Pierre, um, sorry, um, DJ Smith says after the first game back against the Jets, he goes, eh, he's all right. That was his comment. He was a lot more glowing of Matt Murray's performance after that Montreal win. So he's got to prove it to the coach. He's got to prove something to Pierre Dorian, who really stuck his neck out for the guy. He's got this frugal owner who like, okay, does not participate in unrestricted free agency very much, whether it's his own or somebody else's. Um, and convinces him to spend the money. The fan base soured on him, and the teammates, probably more than anything else, if you're a player. Um, he's probably feeling like he's letting down his teammates, and uh, he wants them to know that he can give them a chance to win most nights. Yeah, and and if he is, in fact, quote-unquote, back, then, uh, then these last, uh, what are we down to, about uh, 12 games or so, it, it'll be interesting to watch. It's exciting with the with the kids coming in and, uh, and hopefully with Matt Murray uh, back, it's, it's going to be a nice little stretch down here for the last, for the last month or so. Here's Sense head coach DJ Smith after the four, nothing win over Montreal. For sure. It was his best effort of the year. He tracked pucks. He looked unbeatable tonight. Um, you know, especially late with the shutout on the line. Um, we gave up, you know, two or three grade A chances and, he just looked like it wasn't going to go anywhere. So there's DJ Smith in conversation with the media, obviously feeling pretty good about his starting goalie. And if I could, if I could, I have a very dumb observation about DJ Smith <laughs> that I need to, I, I mean, I've been thinking about it for, since he got here, really. Like literally, like he, I think he needs to go to an ear, nose and throat specialist with all due respect. Like <laughs> he's got a sinus infection or he's got post nasal drip. But I've literally never heard a DJ Smith news conference 
where it's just like he's clogged up, he's coughing, he's clearing his throat, he's sniffing. It's uh, it just just as a sideline, DJ. You know, you can, you can get that fixed up. There's medication for that. It's it's almost uncanny. Every single news conference, it's interrupted by sniffling and coughing, and either that or it's like constant allergies. I don't know what the story is, but just you know, go get that taken care of. I'm sure he's one of those guys who does what we call a farmer's blow a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like he, he, he's a he's a regular farmer's blow guy. You could just tell, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. He talked about uh, when I when I had a one on one with him on his arrival. He, you know, I did one of those get to know you type interviews. You know, first job and all that. And he talked right. about his first job being one of those guys that you know has to stand on the highway crew. And uh, I think he was working with his dad, and he basically had to have the slow stop slow stop for the opposing traffic while the, all the other guys were working. And I can imagine the farmer's blow being used quite a bit there. He said he is that, that was one of the things that got him going as a junior hockey player, you know, not wanting to do that for the rest of his life. I'll do anything. Just not that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's uh, change gears here a little bit and uh, talk a bit about uh, Drake Batherson's performance. Um, boy, he is having a really good time against the Montreal Canadians. I think he's, I was I was joking on social media. The guy seems to have taken up the hab killing torch from JG Pajot. Uh, be yours to hold high. Eleven points in eight games for the, versus the Montreal Canadiens. It's funny how just some guys thrive against certain teams. Yeah, it, exactly. There's there's uh, there's people who've made an entire career out of being good against one team. There's there's guys who've been acquired in trades. Uh, for a playoffs, you know, well, we need we need to get so and so because he's gonna he plays real well against that team, right? Um, but another another two goals, he just it, it's the type of game that the Habs play that suit him. He's a he's a skater and a and a finesse guy. It's not quite the bump and grind. Not that he can't play the bump and grind, but it's it's not quite the same bump and grind game that you get when you play some of those Western teams. Um, and he and he fits well. A nice goal in the power play. A really nice little setup down low to get him for the one T in the slot too. He looks good. Maybe, maybe it's just Carey Price. We'd have to check into that. Is it Carey Price or has it been a mixture between both goalies? I'm not even sure. Yeah, not sure. Yeah, uh, but certainly he loves playing the Montreal Canadiens and uh, he said he never missed watching them growing up. Uh, so sometimes, yeah, the other jersey across from you can be a little more inspiring than say, I don't know, the Minnesota Wild. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's it can be different. But I think, if you're a Sens fan, you've got to be thrilled with the way Batherson is progressing. He just looks like he's just some guys when you watch them game by game, it just seems like as time moves on, and this is a natural occurrence, that they just feel like they belong more and more as each month passes. Yeah, it's a, it's a comfort level that comes right. Like obviously, when a, when a kid first gets called up, there's nerves. There's you know they're cutting their shifts short. They're not handling the puck as much. They're getting rid of it too fast. And then you can see the progression slowly but surely. In the case of Batherson, we've seen it, and it's now he just he belongs on the ice. Like he looks like an NHL hockey player, and he's counted on. His it's reflected in his minutes. It's reflected in his line mates. It's reflected in his special team time in a power play. Uh, he he's here and he's here to stay and he's going to be staying for a long time. Yeah. And, and physically it changes too. I find True, Yeah. Because you know, this, it's not just that he's getting stronger, you know, as we move on, it's that he has the confidence to be physical. You know, uh, he was a big player when he arrived in the NHL playing on a line with Matt Duchesne. 
and he's still a big player now. Like he's a good, solid player. He's not. He's never been a small player since he's been in the league. But now with that mentality of I belong here, I'm a key guy in this team. Suddenly your your physicality it changes a little bit. You impose your will a little bit more on the opposing players, and I think that's an, another change as we move forward. Agreed completely, uh, it, and it's going to be – just think about it with, with Stutzla, with Formanton, with Pinto, watching the rest of them go through that progression. It's just – it really uh, – what's what's the expression that Eugene used again? Unparalleled success? Yeah. Un, uh, uh, like, uh, none of us expect unparalleled success, but it's going to be really entertaining and exciting to watch these kids progress. That that that'll be just in, in and of itself. That'll be good for me. I'll be happy to watch these guys get better and better and better to some level of success down the road. I know it's a popular sport among Sins Nation to mock Eugene Melnick, but calling it unparalleled success, if you are framing it from a Sens perspective, I think there is a chance. From what I'm seeing simmering here. The number of young players under 21 even right now that are just really knocking my socks off, I don't think it's out of, out of line at all to say there's a chance for unparalleled success, at least from this franchise's perspective. And I'll even throw in 2007. I think there's a chance that this team sure. could even be someday better than that one. You mentioned Shane Pinto. Um, he had his debut, Jacob Bernard Docker, and we talked about that in one of our post games this week. Uh, but Shane Pinto made his debut, ended up with an assist on the empty net goal by Nikita Zaitsev. And uh, y- you never really know, Greg, if a player's skills are going to translate from the amateur level to the NHL. Pinto obviously did everything he could at the NCAA ranks, an absolute stud with North Dakota. You just never are, you're never sure until you see, the, see him in the NHL uniform. And I and I'd hesitate to say it after just one game, but I'm going to say I'm 100% confident that's going to be a key player for the Ottawa Senators, and I say that after just one game. Yeah, same sort of thing as Batherson. Uh, he just he looks like an NHL hockey player. He looks like he belongs. Uh, you, you say the same thing about Norris when they when they first came in. They they um they project a, an air of confidence that is rather evident, and you you can see it on the ice. And just uh, I know Pinto only played. Uh, well, like 15 shifts in about nine and a half minutes. But uh, hey, that, that's a that's a very good debut. And a kid who, again, is only going to get better. I can't wait to see him get some shifts with with some higher up in the lineup, play with some skill guys. Um, it's it's going to be interesting down the middle on this team in the future. What does that say? Like what kind of uh, message does that send to a player in their very first NHL game? There were at least two penalty kills where Shane Pinto got to participate in, and by the way, was very effective in both picking off at least two or three Montreal passes in that game. What does that tell a player when the coach gives them those ty- those types of key minutes? Well, it, it, it tells a player that all that time that he spent working on on the, on his game and learning how to play the other side of the puck, it tells him that it was worth it, and it sends a message to all of his teammates, his former teammates back at uh, – at North Dakota, it says, "Hey, look, you know, Shane Pinto worked hard to be a to be a two hundred foot guy to be able to play on both sides of the puck. He worked real hard on his faceoffs, and now it's all transferred to the NHL. And here he is in his first game, taking PK faceoffs in his own zone and getting some PK time. Like he, he did not look out of place. Don't forget, 
not only was he player of the year for his conference, he was defensive player of the year in the conference too, right? He plays both ends of the ice. He's a 200-foot player, as the cliche goes. He's going to kill penalties in the NHL. I have no doubt he'll play in a second power play unit in the NHL. Uh, he's He's got a long career ahead of him. Again, it, it comes back to how much we're going to have to end up paying all these guys, but uh, here, here's yet another one who's coming through for the Sens and for, for Pierre Dorian's scouting department. Yeah, well, we certainly we will get into that later in the show. There are some really key RFAs who need to get done here who are all making under a million dollars. Um, I don't know if there's room to sign them all or what they'll come in at, but uh, I know Eugene we'll Melnick there. is he's, he's a frugal guy. Uh, he's might not going to be uh, particularly fond of where his payroll is going to be in two years. But uh, a couple of things, uh, I mean, uh, just measuring out Pinto, it, it's like in baseball, they always call the you know, the Vladimir Guerreros of the world, that five-tool player. And it just feels like Pinto is that as well. Like you said, 200-foot player. He can play on the power play. He can play in the penalty kill. He's got size. Like Josh Anderson, you know, one of the, you know, power forwards in the in the division. You know, ran him over in the neutral zone. And, yeah, he just bounced right back up. Uh, just kind of caught with his head down in the neutral zone and made a good play. Anderson runs him over, and he pops up like nothing. He's got good size. And on top of everything else, the puck skill – and above all else, the stride, like he's a really, really good skater, uh, really powerful. And I'm already, uh, honestly, in one game, I'm already more impressed with Shane Pinto as a centerman in the NHL than I have been for most of Colin White's resume so far. I knew that was coming, the, the, the Colin Brown or the, the Colin White comment. Um, here's another interesting tidbit, though, is that Shane Pinto was not known for his skating uh, in his draft year. And prior to that, he worked hard on that too. But you are right. Uh, after one game, he already looks better and I think projects to be better than long-term, to be better than Colin White. Here's Shane Pinto after the 4 nothing win over Montreal. Yeah, I mean, you know, the first shifts are a little uh, nervous, but I think the guys just did such a great job of calming me down and just, you know, reminding me it's just hockey and, you know, it's just another game. I know it's your first NHL game, but... Um, yeah, I just tried to have that mindset going in, and I thought it worked out. So clearly Shane Pinto and his agent have been working with all the classic cliches, like we saw in Bull Durham, where, <laughs> uh, where Crash Davis is giving Nuke Lelouch all the all the standard cliches. You know, take it one game at a time. Good Lord willing, things will work out fine. Um, you got to have them. You got to have them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it just uh, looks like the real deal for sure. And it brings up an interesting discussion about center ice depth with the Ottawa Senators. You know, I've got... Shane Pinto entering the fray. You've already got Josh Norris. Tim Stutzla, before long, may get an opportunity at center. I'm starting to wonder now. You've got Ridley Gregg, who's absolutely massacring opposing defenses in the Western Hockey League. He's got 26 points in 15 games. That, by the way, was their first rounder last year, their third first rounder. Um, And now you have to wonder what it looks like now moving forward for Colin White and Chris Tierney, like, how do those guys fit in? Yeah, I I think that you know, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea to have uh, to expose Colin White in the expansion draft. I don't think anybody's gonna like uh, the Kraken aren't gonna take him. I don't think they're gonna want that contract. But but who knows? Maybe they'll need some slightly higher priced players to help them get to the floor. Um, Chris Tierney, no doubt, is being set up here to be exposed in that draft too. Um, Tierney was a guy we talked about being moved out of the trade deadline. I just, from what I can gather, there just wasn't a lot of interest. 
there were better options for most teams than than Chris Tierney. But he is he has dropped down a lineup over the course of the last month or so that he's now basically centering your fourth line, um, except for last night when uh, when it was uh, Pinto. But Tierney and White, long term, I can't see them in in four, three years, in two years. I can't see them being here. Yeah, it's going to be tough because yeah. when you look at their salary next year, nine million. Those two guys are making nine million next year in actual yeah, it's like salary. A three and a half, three and a half, or something is is Tierney. No, and, no, he's and, at uh, he's at uh, four point two in terms of actual dollars, which is all that oh, matters geez. to Eugene Melnick. Colin White is at four point seven five. Wow, jeez. Yeah, that's right. Okay, because Tierney was was two years at seven, but it doesn't come out to three point five. Three point five is that it? Yeah, it's uh, okay right yeah. now. Actual dollars. Tierney's only at two point eight this year. All He's right, at four two next year. Wow, why would it be structured that way? Jeez. Don't know. It's the same as Connor Brown. Yeah, so that that's right. Those two guys are going to account for nine. So it, it, is the Seattle Kraken interested in uh, Colin White as your? second or third line center at four point almost four point eight. Um does Chris Tierney get a job anywhere? Does anybody interested in him at, at four point two in actual dollars? Those are they're gonna be hard to move. They're they're difficult contracts to move. Not necessarily because they're like these six or seven or eight million dollar deals. They're in the right dollar range, but their performance doesn't match the dollars, right? So that's why it's tough to move. Yeah, for sure. And and Tierney, I could see maybe Seattle taking a flyer on. Sure. That's a little expensive, but you've only got him for one more year before he come, becomes a UFA. Colin White, if I'm Ron Francis, would not hold much interest for me because I just have not seen a guy that has, and he's, he's 24 now. He's not a kid anymore. I've not seen that guy perform at a level where I say on a Stanley Cup contender, that's a top six player. He's just not. Whether you decide to move him to wing, whether you keep him at center, uh, I just don't see it. I haven't seen it, and uh, I don't think he will. I mean, if you ask me here and now, gun to the head, I'd say Colin White is a third liner. And as a third liner, I'm not paying him 4.7, 4.7, 4.7, and then 6.2 in the final year if I'm Ron Francis. Exactly. And and it, it, he's not a winger either, Steve. I, I, he's He's had chances over on the wing. He's just not a winger. He's a centerman. But I think he's he, he's starting to look more like a tweener, you know. He's not quite a full fledged top uh, six guy, and, and he's not quite a uh, he's obviously better or not good enough that he's not an American Hockey Leaguer. So, but he but he just can't do anything playing third fourth line. It just doesn't his game doesn't suit those kind of minutes and those kind of guys you're going to play with. It just doesn't work. Yeah, fourteen points, eight goals in thirty five games this year for the Sens. There just really hasn't been a surge. I think the Sens, unfortunately, because his pedigree was first round and because he had that pretty decent year, mostly playing with Kachuk and Mark Stone, I think they thought he was going to be more than he actually is. And I don't think he's going to be a guy that they'll look back at and say, that was a good signing. I mean, I like the kid. He seems great. Um, But I I just don't see that guy being anything more than what you just said, a tweener. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, okay, but it could have been worse. Like you could have paid him, you know, it, it could have been a guy that you gave seven or eight million to who who didn't quite work out. Um, he is still an effective enough player that he can play in the lineup, just not in the top half of your lineup. 
and he still plays on the power play. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming that in the future, he's not going to get those power play minutes. So, but again, it's, it's not eight mil, but it's still it, on a team that's uh, budget conscious. It's uh, it's a lot of money to be paying this guy. Okay, so let's have a look at the lineup because I think it's getting close to what a lot of people in Sens Nation have been looking for. Play the kids, damn it! And uh, we're, we're pretty much there. I mean, there's still some outliers where you'd say, okay, I'd like to see this or that. But the lineup is now as follows. Norris between Kachuk and Batherson. White between Stutzla and Dadnov. Pinto between Formington and Brown. And Tierney between Paul and Dezingle. Then your defense is Shabbat and Zaitsev, the number one pairing. Your second line pairing, Brandstrom and Zub. And then finally, it's Mete and Brown. Anything in there that you still don't like, Greg? No, I'm fine with it. Um, I think that eventually Pinto moves up. I think before this season is out, I'd like to see Pinto playing with Dadnoff and Stutzla. Um, I, I wouldn't even mind seeing Formanton move up. You know, Move Formanton over to the right side with Pinto and Stutzla. Um, then you've got Dadnov and Brown and, and, and white. Um, no, I'm, I'm happy with it. Uh, the other change is JBD comes in for, for Josh Brown. I think, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker will probably get more and more opportunity to play down the stretch here. And will by the end of the year be in there playing ahead of Josh Brown. Um, Mete's looked good. Has he not? Um, puck mover. He's got good feet. He's got some skill. He's looked good in there. Whether he gets re-signed again in the summer or not will depend on the progress of of other players in the organization coming along behind him. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. Maybe Nick Paul. I'm not sure I'm big on him with Tierney and Dezingle. But as you look at it, you start one, okay, well, you want to move Nick Paul up, but uh, who's moving down exactly? Yeah, And I sure like Nick Paul because I think that despite the fact that he doesn't score a lot, I mean, he seems to win every shift that he's on. And I'm sure you've had seasons as a coach before, Greg, where that's one of the mottos or whatever, win every shift. You know, even if you don't get any, you know, you don't, you don't get there and score tonight, you outplay the other line and you minimize their opportunities and uh, and create some momentum and offense for your team. And uh, so that's what Nick Paul to me does like nine times out of 10 shifts. It seems like Nick Paul's on the ice. The Sens have won that shift. Yeah, for sure. He's one of those guys. There's There's been... There's been a few over the years where you come to the kid at the end of the year and you say, look, no matter where you are, whenever, wherever, what age, you're looking for a place to play. If I'm coaching a place where you're eligible to play for me, you'll always have a spot on my team. He's yeah. he's one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, I guess the only other question was, uh, I'm not sure, what is the length for Austin Watson? How long Ooh. is he supposed to be out? Yeah, I don't know. I, I have to assume that uh, we're inside, what, we're close to 10 games left now, so... I don't imagine there's any huge hurry to have him back this year, but uh, he, he, I mean, his time in the lineup, you know, you look at all these veterans that they brought in the off season. I object to most of them with the exception of that guy. Yeah. And he's got two years left at uh, what, but one and a half each. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll, he's, he's here. He's signed. Um, and I'm willing to bet it's not a two way contract either. So he, he's a guy who's projects uh, when this team is, is farther along, he, he's going to be here in a fourth-line role probably. Yeah, and a nice fourth-line role, killing penalties. He did a ton of that this year, and you still need it. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, non-fight fans. <laughs> you still need that element. And with Eric Branson gone at the deadline, there's a guy that uh, can still deliver that in spades. Austin Watson is a tough dude. Yeah, exactly. And and I'm seeing it as as the aforementioned Chris Tierney that we've spoken about. Does he get moved out one way or another? Or does Ryan Dezingle not get signed? That That's Watson's spot. You move Paul back to center if Tierney goes. You know, you play Paul between Watson and Dezingle. Or if it's uh, if it's uh, Dezingle who goes, then you play Tierney between Paul and Watson. Either way, out of those out of those four guys, you've got three guys there to make up your fourth line, and that is not a bad fourth line. So you got Batherson and Brown on the right side; they're automatics. But then you have Dadnov and Dezingle. Dezingle's about to become a UFA, but I got to think that that guy is in a mode of. There's something about Ottawa. There's some magic here. It seemed that drafted me, and I just seemed to produce a little more here than I was able to in Columbus and, and Carolina. I'm sure he'd be wide open to re-signing. I'm not sure if the Sens have room for him, per se. And if it does happen where they do decide we want to keep this guy around, then it would be at the expense of Dadnov and maybe trying to package him up and deal him. Like, if you had your druthers... Would you do Dezingle and bring him back and trade Dadnov or keep Dadnov around and say goodbye to Dezingle? Do we have to get rid of one or the other? Does it have to be an either or? I guess. I guess you know, it doesn't like, have to be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Batherson's your your first line. Depth-wise, Batherson's one, Dadnov's two, Brown is three. Dezingle plays fourth line right wing or he can play fourth line left wing. Um, he can play in your, your third line. On, on left wing, there's there's certain guys you need to keep around. You can't be cleaning house totally. And uh, from what I read earlier today, uh, apparently the Sens are going to sit down and talk to his camp. Hmm. Uh, Dezingle, that is. Interesting. On the topic of re-signing guys, and that's a UFA discussion, the old RFA sweepstakes are upon us before long, and the Sens have five guys all making less than a million dollars who are all RFAs. And I wonder what they're going to get paid next year. Um, the names are Brady Kachuk, Drake Batherson, Artem Zub. Those are the big three. Less compulsory would be Victor Mete and Marcus Hogberg. So let's address each one. What do you think they're all going to get paid next year if they're all brought back? In the case of Kachuk, Batherson, and Zub, I think they've got to be brought back or the fan base will be livid. Uh, but Kachuk... I mean, are you surprised that's not done now? Uh, no, I'm not surprised. And that probably has as much to do with uh, the Kachuk camp as it does with uh, the Senators. I'm sure the Senators would have loved to have done it a long time ago. Um, I'm sure that it's Brady Kachuk's uh, agent there that has made the decision to wait this out and see what happens. It's n- not only to see what kind of year Brady has, but to see what kind of year the whole league has and what the situation is moving forward in the NHL because that will dictate how many years he's going to sign for. Uh, you want to you want to keep him around it's going to cost you 6 at least if not 7 or 8 million a year to keep him and that that price tag will depend on on term obviously how the longer you can keep him the better and that that will that could possibly decrease the dollar amount but uh, he needs to be re-signed and he's going to make a lot of money. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. Though I wonder where do you think his point totals will be? Brady Kachuk in his prime, let's say three years from now, we'll call that the start of his prime. 
Like what kind of point totals is he putting up? Because right now he's shown to be a 45 to 50 point guy. I think over the course of a full season this year, he'd have been about 50 points. Where do you think he is? He's mature. He's in his prime. He's how many points? Yeah, I I don't know that he tops out at much more than 60. Does he get to 65 someday? Um, obviously, it depends on who he plays with and what kind of line mates he has, but he's he's not a pure goal scorer in the sense that he's going to snipe every night, no ifs, ands, or buts, right? He, he's got to work hard to get the dirty nose kind of goals. Um, but I, does, can he get to 25 in, in a season? What's his, what's his season high? What did he get to last year? He got over 20 last year, right? Yeah, 20. So, he said uh, 20 in both his first two years. Right. So, so, so is that his limit? He's a 20 goal scorer or is he a 25 goal scorer? I don't, I, he's certainly not a 30 goal scorer in the NHL, not anymore. Um, he's, he's probably somewhere between 20 to 25 a year, but he brings so much more than that. Like that, that's not why he's here. Um, but yeah, he's probably 20 to 25 and 35 to 40 assists in a year. Does that sound about right? What are, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think 25 to 30 goals. I think he has a chance to get to 30 goals, not just because he'll get better, but he's not playing with anybody that's near their prime yet either. You know, he's with Norris and Batherson right now. You know, maybe the future he'll be with Pinto. Like these are going to be studs, in my opinion, moving forward. And uh, so it's not just a matter of can the player improve, but his line mates are going to get all the mu- all the better as well. So I do think he can flirt with 30 someday and maybe 70 points. That would be where I have him, but uh, you know the projections are, you know, that's just all uh, keeping an eye on things. And I think that there's so much more, so many more intangibles, uh, the physicality, uh, the leadership. Uh, that's your next captain, obviously, and the fan base loves him. So uh, that's a guy you got to get done. And again, I'm a little surprised. And do you feel like if it is the Kachuk camp that has said we are not really interested in signing until the end of his final year? Um, do you feel like that they accomplished their goal? Like, did he make more money by waiting until this summer as opposed to signing last year? Uh, yeah, I would think so, for sure. Um, although, when you look at the white contract and you look at the money they were willing to give to Shabbat, they, the Senators might have come to them right away and started at uh, at $7 million and been willing to go to eight. Um, it's really going to come down to length, though, right? Like, how many years can you buy up of the um, of the of the UFA years, can they can they buy up in some sort of a deal here? If it's if it's not a six year deal, if there's seven year deal, right? If it only ends up being a two or a three year deal, then how much money do you pay them? It changes so much based on term, and in this case, because of the times we're in, the term is affected so much by revenue by by, by salary cap. Like you can't afford to go out and sign three guys at eight million each. So I'm not saying the Senators would, but some team. You know, in, in other times, could do such a thing. You can't do that now because you you don't know what your revenue is going to be like, and you and the salary cap, as low as it is, is really going to screw with you. So you they, they've got to be careful. There's a lot of so there's there's some guy sitting behind a closed door somewhere down at the Scotiabank uh, Arena there, uh, who's or sorry, are we Canadian Tire or Scotiabank? I can never keep up with Canadian the Tire Center. Yeah, they're down at the Palladium there. And uh, the guy's in a back room with an abacus trying to figure all this stuff out. So it, it, stay tuned. They'll, they'll come up with something. 
I really feel like we should have just all abandoned any corporate affiliation. It just changes so frequently <laughs> yeah. that we should just call it the Palladium. We should just call it Maple Leaf Gardens or whatever. I mean, just they just keep changing on us. So I, I don't feel like it's our obligation as, as the media or as fans <laughs> to have to keep up with all this nonsense. But anyway. it's also, there's so many of them that are the same. Like, aren't there now two or three Scotia banks in the league still? Well, that's why I'm sure you're confused because the Leafs yes. now have got Leafs Scotia. Scotia Bank. What's yeah. Vancouver? It's, is it still GM Place or are they something else now? Uh, I think they're Rogers now, aren't they? Yeah. See, yeah, that's right. It's a Rogers now. Like you can't keep up with this stuff. Yeah, and they were so the cool. Way. Like when we were in our formative years, you know, you, you're thinking about the Montreal Forum, Maple Leaf Gardens, Buffalo played at the Ah, uh, the Boston Garden, Chicago Stadium. It, it was part of it. It was part of the, you know, the the mystique. And, uh, and and not that it's a huge deal. I'm not I'm not losing a second of sleep over it, but it just I don't know. It it loses a little something when you just keep slapping these uh, these corporate tags on them. It's just like everything. Ah, oh, everything is for sale. Yeah, I I can only think of one right now that isn't doesn't have a corporate name in the National Hockey League. Ooh, um, Madison Square Garden is still Madison Square Garden. Oh yeah. Moving along to Drake Batherson, what's he going to get? He's an RFA this summer too. Yeah, that's a oh boy, eh? That's a toughie because similar to Colin White, he's just had a really good year. Now, is it because he was playing with Norris and Kachuk, or is he really that good? Or like personally, I get a much better feeling about he the projection of Drake Batherson down the road than I've ever had concerning Colin White. Me too. So yeah, okay. So if you're paying Colin White, I'm <laughs> almost five. What are you paying Drake Batherson? Like it's, it better be between four and five or his agent's going to, it's just not going to happen. He wouldn't sign for less than four. And I would, I, I bet they come in looking for six times six. Yeah. I'm, I mean, can Pierre Dorian go hat in hand and say to Batherson's agent, well, look, I know Colin White's there, but honestly, we maybe had a misassessment there of, of where <laughs> the player was. I'm not sure that's necessarily going to fly with Batherson and his agent, but uh, that that would probably be the card I'd try and play. But yeah, I think he's getting Colin White money. How long? Do you you know you're right about the you know there's some guys on this team where they they're probably going okay I want a long term contract you know but you can only go to that well to x amount of times. I I think the guy probably gets though something like Colin White you know five year deal four to five million. Yeah. Yeah, but that but they'll start wanting six times six. The sends may come in at uh, I don't know five times five or five times four and a half, and they'll settle somewhere in between. I don't think there's any problem. I should we should say this now that I, I'm not even remotely concerned that these guys aren't going to sign. Like right. <laughs> I, I can't see there being a problem with any of them. There's no holdouts here. There's no long protracted. Uh, negotiations i think they'll all be done and in camp and ready to go yeah you think about you know jg paja went to the new york islanders and got a five-year contract worth five million per season so you know those are other comparables you can start chucking around as well and uh and i really think batherson you know he's going to be a better scorer than that guy uh is uh, he doesn't well, have the intangibles sure. but you know, we think about four and five and six million dollars as a king's ransom just as a bit of homework Check out Cap Friendly or wherever you you know you you go to to check out salaries in the NHL, and you'll be blown away by the types of players that are getting four, five, and six million dollars in today's NHL. 
It is crazy. Like third line guys that are making that kind of dough. Guys that are going out and getting you 50 points, 45 points are making that kind of money. Times have a changed. For sure. So what are our thoughts on Zub then? <laughs> Got to be 3 million minimum. Oh God, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's in the three times three, I would think. When you're a defenseman and you don't have the stats to kind of go with it, um, I think that uh, the, the NHL team has the advantage on the so-called defensive defenseman. I think that uh, otherwise, I think the value of the player to the team is probably a little more than $3 million, but that's my guess as to where he'd fall. Yeah, for sure. He's uh, Bear in mind, of course, uh, Nikita Zaitsev makes 4.5. Not comparables now. again. <laughs> Not a contract that was signed by the Ottawa Senators, but that will factor in. You've got Zaitsev at four and a half, and you've got Shabbat at eight, and there's only so much money to go around. So that's going to factor into how much you're willing to pay in Artem Zub. On the plus side, the rest of your blue line is not very expensive. Whether it's a Victor Mete who's under a million and needs a new deal, and you keep him, it, uh, Brandstrom is under a million. Uh, Jacob Bernard Docker's under a million. If it's Lassie Thompson in here next year, he's under a million. So the, the 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 lower paid players on your blue line allow you to spend the 13 mil that you're spending on Shabbat and Zaitsev. So the three for Zub isn't uh, all that difficult. And a complicating factor is Josh Brown in the mix as well, because when he signed on with the Sens in the offseason, he didn't just sign a one-year deal. He signed a two-year deal. So he's got Ooh. another year left at $1.4 million. So he may still right? be a part of the equation here for next season as maybe a number seven. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Did two years. Wow. Okay, fair enough. And he's at, what do you say he's at? 1.4. Wow. Okay. Well, that's not terrible, right? No, no. He had to eat that. that or whatever or put him on waivers and put him down in the minors. Somebody claims him, or he goes to Belleville and he's a stud there. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's there's certainly options, but yeah. he is a guy that would be making 1.4 down in the American Hockey League, and that would never sit well with ownership. You got to know that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so what are you doing with what are you doing with these goalies? Yeah, that's the thing to close it out today. Um, obviously, Matt Murray is at least taking baby steps here on reestablishing himself as the number one because he's going to be given every opportunity just given the contract that he signed. Again, it's a four-year contract with $25 million. So three years to go on that, yeah, they'd kind of like him to be their number one. But after that, who is the backup next year? Because Anton Forsberg, he is an unrestricted free agent. Marcus Hogberg, he is a restricted free agent. And you've also got Decord and Gustafson in the mix as well. So I don't know, for starters, are you bringing back Marcus Hogberg uh, and signing him to a new contract, he made seven hundred thousand this year. Um, he had a very difficult start to the season. Since then, he's had one game in there where he did look really good after his injury. But uh, I don't know how do you see the goaltending after Matt Murray? Well, I mean, we're on record here. You're a Gustafson supporter. I'm a Decord guy, so uh, I'll stick with my. I want Joey Decord here as the as the backup moving forward next year. Um, the, 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 the situation with Gustafson, he's been a real good soldier. He has uh, hung in there and stayed with this club and been loyal to this organization. And actually his quote after his first win there a couple of weeks ago was, 
was he was very happy because he felt that the senators have been have been loyal to him and he felt good about playing well and providing a w there so he's been real good for you so i see both of them being ahead of hogberg as far as stay or go uh, decisions are concerned. And uh, you know, Gustafson, I should point out as well, that I just noticed is also an RFA for ah, this, okay. this coming year. So that could complicate things as well. And certainly would give Decord a big leg up because Decord is signed for two more years. Yeah. So you could conceivably just let those two guys walk and keep Decord. Uh, and again, this depends on how well is Mandelize doing, uh, how well is Sogard doing, how well is the the other Finnish kid tore it up in the in the uh, junior league over there? Right, he was the goalie of the year with ungodly stats. Levi Marilainen. There you are. Thank you very much. Um, so there 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 are players in the pipeline to replace uh, Gus between Gustafson and Hogberg if one or two both leave. Again, we don't know enough about the the progress and the steps being taken with Mandelize and Sogard and et cetera. So. Those decisions are internal based on goaltending coach and scouting staff and yada, yada. But um, from a financial standpoint, I think they'd be fine if Hogberg and and uh, Gustafson. Gustafson both left, right? The, that leaves you with it. So what are you doing with a Forsberg? Forsberg's signed through next? No, he's a UFA too, right? That's right. Yeah, so wow. You let them all go? <laughs> Who well, knows? I, mean, you're in a, I think you're in a situation... If you're reading the tea leaves based on what you see at Cap Friendly and the contracts, um, it, it sure does look like the Sens are loading up to maybe walk away from Gustafson and Hogberg, particularly Hogberg, um, because the guy is 26 years of age and he had a very tough start to the year. And now he's an RFA when there's a lot of guys, like you said, coming along, along the goaltending yeah. pipeline. So if I'm to guess, I'm thinking – they look like they're going to walk away from Hogberg, 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 whatever, um, <laughs> and Gustafson as well, maybe, because he's yeah. an RFA. And you've got Mandelize, uh, who's got two more years left on his entry-level contract, and Mad Sogard just signed this week his entry-level contract. So they've obviously got plans for those two guys. You mentioned Marilinen. Um, so it may be a case of maybe they start to turn the page, but I have a hard time just based on the limited sample size I saw this year, I thought Gustafson looked really, really good. I'd hate to see them, you know, move on from him, uh, particularly when he's only 22 years of age. And don't forget the the other thing you've got to factor in here is okay, are we really going to be playing next year? Because you want to have six goalies at least, right? You want two in the NHL, two in the American League, and two wherever you're going to send them. Of course, the Brampton team is now out of business. But you 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 got to go down two tiers. You need two goalies there. So if it's if it's Murray and in my scenario, it's Murray and Decord in Ottawa. Um, is is it good enough to have Mandelize and Sogard playing in in uh, Belleville? Ugh, you know, I'm not sure about that. Right. You know, you've got Forsberg. We we both seem to agree that Hogberg's not going to be retained. Forsberg's even older than him. So he's not a guy who's going to go play in the minors. But then again, maybe it's a Forsberg and one of the kids in Belleville and then the other kid and another, two more kids playing below that. That seems to make sense. It's just a matter of who's who. Yeah. Well, certainly uh, there's uh, there's lots of chess pieces in the goaltending game for the Sens because they have uh, a lot of really, really interesting pieces. So we'll see how they uh, move forward with all of that. 
Okay, let's close it out with an email today from Ryan. Love the podcast. Listen every week. Love hearing the insight from the coach. Normally, he feels the same way as I do. Had a question for him and maybe even a topic he could talk about on one of the upcoming podcasts. Well, we're going to do that right here. Uh, Ryan writes, Lately, I've been watching Shabbat a little more closely, and especially on the power play, I've been noticing he doesn't ever really take a shot from the point, especially one-timers. My personal opinion is that if he would do that, it would make the power play a little bit harder to defend against, and I'd guess that opposing defenses and goalies would notice this trend as well and always be thinking he isn't going to shoot it, so that's not a priority. So, what do you think of that? Should Thomas Shabbat, Greg, shoot the puck more on the power play? Um, In the current setup, the Senators employ uh, what we all know to be called an umbrella, and the idea is that the the Thomas Shabbat as the quarterback at the top of the umbrella is feeding to his right or to his left. To his left in a perfect world would be a right shot. To his right would be a left shot in Batherson and, and um, Stutzla. And we've talked about it on here a lot that, you know, we wish they'd be on their off wings instead of their strong sides. But that's an argument for another day. A one-timer from the top where Shabbat is is not really what you're looking for. You're looking for the one-timer from the sides. A perfect power play is designed so that we can isolate one guy on his off wing for a one-timer. So for Shabbat to take a 1T, it could only come off a pass from his left because he's a left shot. So it would only come from where Stutzla currently lines up, and it would be coming from the top right in the middle. The best one-timers have got to be off to the side. There's a Go ahead and Google this, Ryan. Google what's called the Royal Road. It's a line that runs from the middle of one net all the way down to the ice to the middle of the other net, and you increase your chances of scoring tenfold by simply making a pass across the Royal Road. So a pass from one side of the ice right to the top to Shabbat doesn't really make the goalie move as much and isn't going to be as effective. Um, you want that one tee to come from the side and the perfect pass goes side to side for that shot to come through. So it's not really geared for a Thomas Shabbat one-timer as it is right now. If you think of defensemen who take one tees on the power play, think of Shea Weber. He's on the side. He's playing right D and it's fed across to him. Or even, even P.K. Subban, he's on the side. There's the pass goes from one side of the ice to the other side of the ice. It crosses that Royal Road, uh, they call it. I'm not sure who coined it that. But uh, it goes all the way across the ice. And again, it's Shabbat's in the middle, so he's not really set up to take a one T that's going to be effective. Plus, a lot of times, you've got Dadanoff playing bumper guy who's like six feet in front of him. You want to take a one T, you're going to hit Dadanoff right in the shinny every time. So there's the, because of the setup, it's not really designed for Shabbat to take a one T. Yeah. Batherson, Stutzla, those guys are going to be great yeah. in that area. And uh, Shane Pinto hasn't had a chance to show it off yet at the NHL level. But I saw enough North Dakota games to know that that guy Four. can absolutely unload uh, sure. the power play situation. So. Go back to last year's games in Belleville, watching Josh Norris on the right side taking one tees on the power play. He can do it too. Man, there's a lot to be excited about with this oh, team, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Unparalleled success, Steve. Love the unparalleled success. Just some housekeeping before we go, Greg. A reminder, good listener, if you'd like to get your business message out in front of Ottawa's hockey fans, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a note. SensNationHockey.com is our website. There you can read all about the Sens. We get some great writers talking about them. We've got our entire library of various podcast episodes. 
And our contact and our membership info, too, is all available again, SensNationHockey.com. In the meantime, we hope you have a fantastic week. The Sens of Calgary on Monday, then four games against Vancouver after that. Greg, enjoy your week. Good luck to the Ice Dogs, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, my friend. Have a good night. Have a good week.